it's uh, the whole room is just so eerie um, because you walk in there and there's just this incessant beeping that um, that pretty much fills the space of the room because the lifeless bodies of the people that are sick there don't really add much. I don't know how to, else to explain. Like humans are so social and we fill up rooms, you know. Um, those rooms, those don't feel like people anymore. It's I can't I can't imagine what it must be like to to have to see that every day because it's it's honestly like it's empty but it's full <laughs> if that makes any sense. There's just this like emptiness filled up with machines and machine noise, but the people are missing. And then the nurses and doctors they look like something out of a sci-fi novel. Um, but nothing about it feels human. You know, it feels so. It's it's the least human thing I've ever encountered. South African frontline healthcare staff have been tirelessly battling the COVID-19 pandemic since the country's first cases were recorded in March of last year. As it currently stands, close to 47,000 South Africans have died as a direct result of the virus, and the actual death toll is estimated to be quite a bit higher. Yet, every day, South Africa's paramedics, nurses, doctors and other frontline workers risk it all in an attempt to save as many people as they can. In today's episode of Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national lockdown, we send one of our toughest videographers, Emil Bosch, behind the veil at Tembisa Hospital, where he's confronted with his new worst fear, being isolated in a COVID-19 ICU ward. South Africa's frontline healthcare workers have arguably never been more important to the success of the country. But they too are just human beings with families and very real concerns. My Really my biggest fear is just getting the virus and taking uh, into my family. But for now at least my family, are, uh, most of them they are home. I'm af even afraid myself to go home just to see them because we know that coronavirus is invisible uh, threats. It, it only affects you when you know you got it and then you might give it to someone that you, you love, like someone who, who is closer to you. I was fortunate to have a very supportive family that will always pray for me and will also actually told, tell me that we, told, we pray for you in the morning at 12 o'clock. We pray for you all the time. We send videographer Emil Bosch into Tembisa Hospital to shadow South Africa's frontline workers. Yeah, so when I, when, I, when I first got back into the hospital two weeks back, it was packed. Walking in there made me feel uncomfortable. Well, because nurses will be the first to tell you that even, even though they, they're not working in a COVID ward anymore, COVID patients will still end up in those wards. So you'll see general patients being moved around, people waiting, 
like all regulations are being adhered to. But at the end of the day, like you can really so easy to get COVID, and it can just be so by chance. Um, so being in a packed hospital is extremely scary. That's that's why. <laughs> The first thing that I noticed when, because I was obviously there six months ago, just after the first wave, and this time the staff are really tired. Um, you can hear it when you speak to them on the phone, when you see them in person, they just look absolutely exhausted. At Timbisa, they have started a kind of rotating shift, which has helped with the fatigue. They do seem a little bit happier than the last, the first wave, I must say. Um, because there is kind of like a break. They won't work, I believe it's four days on, then two days out or out of the COVID kind of sections and then back, you know. So, but I mean, four days is still incomprehensible to me because I do like two days and I feel like I'm going to have an anxiety attack, you know. At Tembisa Hospital, near the nation's capital, Head of Internal Medicine, Dr. Portia Nguata, who oversees 60 other doctors, says she hasn't taken a day off since the start of the pandemic, and the rest of her staff are also struggling with fatigue. The number of patients that are coming through with COVID symptoms and COVID positive, they've increased significantly. The supplementation of the staff have assisted in the shuffling of the staff. And the, in terms of the, the mortality, the number of deaths has increased, but the percentage of death is, remains the same uh, because there is also increased the number of patients that are being um, admitted due to COVID-19 related symptoms and uh, COVID-19 pneumonia. My staff most of the time, the leave that they actually have, it's when they are sick and they end up cancelling their annual leave. That is trying to answer that we've got a significant fatigue, continuous fatigue. Um, we just hope this virus can just give us a break. To deal with increased COVID-19 infection numbers, many frontline workers have elected to shoulder the burden. Many are severely fatigued scared for their families and mentally drained. This fatigue is compounded by the tragic loss of life that frontline workers are sometimes unable to prevent. When, when you, you see that you are not winning, you try your best and you try your best. I've resuscitated many COVID positive patients with severe ARDS that if needed to stop begging them, the saturation go down. You counsel the family while you, someone else is still begging, telling them that I've lost the battle. And uh, you cry with the family. It's like, what is it that you can do to save this life? Patients have been on anticoagulation, patients have been on antibiotics, patients have been on early incubation. You've escalated the oxygen need but you still lose the patient. You ask yourself, what is it that I would have done? Unfortunately, most frontline workers have similar stories to share. A, a day doesn't go by without uh, transporting. It either could be me or one of my colleagues. 
who transport a, a positive uh, COVID patient. Paramedic Clive Moyoleso, who says they're bringing COVID-19 patients in on a daily basis, says that he is afraid that he may contract coronavirus and pass it on to his chronically ill mother. I was uh, COVID positive. Uh, I'm not sure where did I get it, how did I get it, but uh, one, one, one of my partners, she tested positive and then I, I also tested positive. But the biggest worry for me, it's not uh, for me myself, like personal for me. It's uh, it's for my family. You understand? Like for an example, my mother, she she is one of um, those patients that are on high risk to getting COVID and all that. It it only affects you when you know you got it and then you might give it to someone that you, you love, like someone who, who is closer to you. Timbisa Hospital experienced 126 deaths during the peak of the first wave. During the second wave, that number went up to 132 and counting. During the initial outbreak of the virus, Sister Linda Dikileri Matibela spent her 12-hour shifts caring for COVID-positive patients in the hospital's then-repurposed family medicine ward. She remembers the first patients she lost to COVID and how scared she was that her family would be next. It's not an easy thing. At first, I remember one day, the first time this, the this COVID uh, pandemic, when it started, I cried in my car while I was on duty, knowing that I've seen someone. But I did everything that I could as, as a nurse. And then realizing that that person's condition was not okay, and I'm the one who actually first treated the patient. So I, I cried alone. I was like, I was afraid. I was. Uh, I just told myself what I'm about to lose my family now. Maybe I'll die and everything, not knowing, since we didn't know at first what to expect. Dr Nguata says fatigue has become the baseline for her and her staff. She explains that an estimated 11,000 patients were treated for COVID-19 during the first wave. But during the second wave, this number rose to 15,000. As it currently stands, she says the hospital is receiving 1,600 admissions a day, which is far higher than the hospital's capacity. But more concerning for Dr Nguata is the age group and health of those who seem to be having severe reactions. The current number, they are scaring me because the age group now is across, it's is affected, young Adults are affected, elderly are affected, comorbidities are affected, young adults they die, non-patient with no comorbidities they die, elderly patient they die. So this new variant, uh, I think it looks it's virulent and also spreading very fast. And Emil noticed it too. Walking into the ICU the other day, the previous time I'd been there, I hadn't gone to the ICU. Um, it was un that was the most unforgettable thing for me to see all those people on ventilators. 
Um, and to be honest, while you're in there, you're wearing goggles and your eyesight's pretty limited. It steams up. And then I looked back, I got out and I kind of looked at this photograph that I'd taken and I only saw young people, 17, um, didn't look like someone there was over 25, you know. Like the, the fact that it's so many young people, you know, and like now it's, it used to be people with core mobility issues and elderly people that would die. Now it's young people, they die. Old people, they die. Everyone that contracts it, there's no kind of group of people that dies anymore. And seeing that like in person and seeing such young people so ill, um, it's not something that will leave my mind for years to come, I don't think. The increased volatility of the new COVID-19 variant means that everyone is on guard. For Dr Nguata, protecting her staff and their families, as well as her own, is paramount. My biggest fear um, is losing my staff members. My biggest fear is to see myself bearing my staff members and hence has made me to have a continuous daily counseling of the proper use of the PPE. Currently we've got four staff members that we've lost. Um, they are not medical doctors, they are non-medical doctors though. My biggest fear is those people that they are working very hard to manage the COVID positive uh, pneumonia when they contract COVID, that they must not succumb from COVID. It hasn't happened to my doctors, but it's still the biggest fear. It is so easy to contract COVID-19 and most health workers have come to terms with the fact that they are likely to contract the virus while performing their duties. But while they signed up for the risk, their families did not. It was tough because I, I, I used to go home. Now I'm a homey person. My home is in Vopo, then out in some. I used to go home every month. I cannot stay without seeing my family. But now, since the virus has started, I think it's having seen my family plus minus three months. Yeah, because like I'm afraid myself. Sister Matibela has attempted to isolate herself from those she loves in order to better protect them. But she says she manages to call them daily. Dr Nguata tries to ensure that she is as sterile as possible before coming near her family members. I take precautions at work. I wear PPE. I, 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 my husband was laughing at me and saying, I've got a COVID car, I've got a family car. The car that I take to, to work, I don't use it for my family. I lock it during weekends. The other car is for my family. Um, make sure that before I get inside, I've changed and then take a thorough bath, then come back to them and then play with them. I take precautions as much as I can. I sometimes make sure that I even clean my nose thoroughly and use chlorhexidine uh, mouthwash to make sure that if I had a resuscitated, a resuscitated patient with COVID, but to try by all means that I don't shed the virus to my family. 
It is a risk to be sure, but it is a burden that both women have taken on because they feel that this is their calling. Saving lives for me is my second nature. As I'm doing now, I'm spending more hours in the hospital to look after those patients. And I'm trusting God that he will protect me as I'm going through what I'm going through. I have passion for helping people. That's why I chose this profession. Even due coronavirus uh, pandemic, I, I don't, I've never been absent. These patients are like our families. We treat them equally. And whenever you lose your patient, you put yourself in that family's shoes. Since they cannot see their family members, it's very tough. It's, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough time for us as well as nurses and family members as well. For no, for no reason, one of the nurses, and I never spoke to her about it, but it's just something that I saw. Um, and she, she was just kind of like, obviously this person is on a ventilator, is extremely ill, um, can't feel anything from the outside world, I'd imagine. Um, and then this nurse is kind of just like re, re, re takes the blanket and kind of like rolls rolls it over the person again because it had pulled a little bit free. And I just thought like, you know, you don't have to touch that person um, for that. It's not like a medical emergency. It's it's just the comfort thing that any human would kind of hope for if you if you're a bit cold and. And like uh, she just inst by instinct kind of just leant over and just kind of put the blanket right around the person. Um, yeah, and I just thought that, that that level of care is it's unspoken, you know. Um, I've, it's, it's not often that you'd see that from one human to another regardless. <laughs> and you're seeing those kind of things all the time from the frontline staff, you know. But the sacrifice and care being taken by these frontline workers goes to waste when the rest of the population disregards their own safety. And um, we've seen a bit of uh, complacency from South Africans um, as a whole, and I think maybe that's why the numbers took such a big jump again. Um, what would your message to be to those who perhaps aren't taking the viruses seriously? This is one of the difficult questions to answer. People are not putting on masks. They are not uh, following the, the preventative measures to keep the COVID-19. I think if we can try by all means, have a way of people to wear masks, sanitize, wash their hands, physical distancing, contact tracing, we might reduce. We need a conscious decision as a general population and to act accordingly to keep the virus spread. After shadowing these remarkable people, Emil had one last comment to leave South Africans with. COVID-19 is very real. Um, it's, 
it's um, it's heartbreaking for me to drive around and see nobody wearing masks. It's heartbreaking for me to see people, friends of mine that go have like go away for the weekend with like 20 other friends and they don't take it seriously. Um, it's it's not some hoax, it's not some facade that, um, I mean, even if it was, I mean, if there's all those conspiracy theories, it's very, very much real and people are very, very much dying of it. And I just wish people would be a little bit more cognizant of that fact because I just often really see people disregarding measures put in place to prevent them ending up there. And if my only message could, if, if I had to put it in one sentence, like that is the very, very last place on planet Earth that I ever really want to end up is in one of those wards fighting for my life from COVID. It's, it's, it's so lonely and so um, disconnected from anything I've ever seen before. And I don't, I don't think that people realize how like, if you end up in there, you, you're going to be alone. And that's like really scary to me. For Boots on the Ground, behind South Africa's national headlines, a production of Sunday Times and Multimedia Live, I am Paige Muller. The audio for this particular podcast was collected by Emil Bosch. You are listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices, and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.